I was saying, um, that song, Because He Lives, uh, written by Bill and Gloria Gaither, so you can't, you can't get any more old folky than that. Um, oh, my wife loves the Gaithers. All right. She jumped at the chance to play clarinet at that song. Uh, but the chorus of that song is incredible. It's, it's, it's a good song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. For I, now I know. Now I know. He holds my future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. We talked last week about the resurrection, right? about because he was obedient to be humiliated and lay his life down, because he was obedient to wear the crown of thorns, he has every right to wear the crown of glory. The grave could not contain him. The suffering servant, we said last week, was obedient to death and God vindicated him. And because he lives, everything changes. Amen? Jeremiah 29. Uh, If you don't have a Bible... We'll have the text up on the screen in a little while. If you don't own a Bible, man, we'd love to give you one. We value God's word here. We believe that it uh, has the ability to convict of sin and draw people to repentance. We believe that God uses it to uh, affect change in his world and, and bring about the purposes of his kingdom. We also believe that it's the primary means by which God makes himself known to a world that doesn't know him. All right, And so the pastor in the room can confidently stand up on the stage and say, listen, if you'll walk in obedience to, to try reading your Bible on your own, God's going to do stuff with that. He's going to make himself known to you. And so it's valuable for us, advantageous for us to put one in your hands. And so if you don't have one outside of this place, we can fix that. All right. And so uh, we are walking through a series that we're calling On the Same Page. And the premise is pretty simple. We took a break for Easter. We talked about Easter stuff. And I think we had a great time. uh, But we put our series on hold. And now it's time to pick that back up and keep going. So On the Same Page, which is the thing that we got on the screen back there, um, it's, the premise is incredibly simple. We're defining major vocabulary words in the life of the church, right? We've talked about words like gospel and scripture. I just whistled. We talk about worship. We've talked about stewardship. We've talked about uh, mission and worldview. And, and listen, if you're here this week because you visited last week and you liked what you saw and you came back, man, go find our sermon archives so you can catch up, all right? Uh, you can go on SoundCloud. You can find them on our, our church website. You can get to them through pretty much every social media platform. And so uh, we've been talking about being on the same page and defining those words. And so um, we've got a few weeks left to go, all right? And we've got a few more words that we want to roll out. And so this morning, I want to roll out a new word. You ready? Citizenship. That's a fun word, right? Anybody feel like they're back in their high school civics class? Citizenship. So anybody know what I think you ought to be thinking when I say citizenship? I bet you don't. (laughs) Mostly because... We've had a busy week and everybody was out sick and the people who would normally do our graphics for this week didn't do our graphics for this week and so we don't have a slide to put up there so no one's seen it yet. Ready? When I say citizenship, I want you to be thinking foreign cultivators. Foreign cultivators. So what place would you identify as home? Australia, Canada. (laughs) Immediately we're getting to the meat, right? Okay, so... Hold that thought. For a lot of people, it's a physical building. It's like your, your house, right? So much so that you can't rest when you're in somebody else's space. Anybody ever experienced that? 
You've been a guest somewhere and it feels like you're always on show and you, so you got to act a certain way and kind of talk a certain way and you never really can settle in and rest when you're in somebody else's space. But you get into your house, it's different, right? It is. Some of y'all don't care about that stuff at all and you can rest anywhere. Like you, you can fall asleep somewhere, you, you talk, no, you talk in a way that's very relaxed, you can undo the top button on your pants and just kind of just rep. That, is that a southern thing? Maybe a southern thing. All right. For some people, some people, home, the idea of home where you can finally rest and just kind of settle in and find your groove is absolutely a physical structure. Your house, whether that's an apartment or a home that you bought or built, or you're like John Scoggins, you probably built your home. I don't know. All right. Here's the thing. <laughs> Did you? Right. I wouldn't doubt it. All right. So here's the thing. For some people, home is this physical structure, but for some people, like we've already heard, home is much more about a region, right? Or a hometown, whether it's Australia or Canada. You may have noticed this, probably not. I talk about Texas every once in a while. There's this, there's a lot of people who are in this room who are from southern New Hampshire, but there's a lot of people in here who very much are transplants, right? And so, Home is this really complicated mix with a lot of moving parts. It's this place that has a lot of circumstances and people and experiences attached to it, right? For some, it's a certain type of food. For some, it's a certain smell in the air. For some, it's just a different type of tree than what you see here. You're tracking with me, right? Yeah. home is this idea that we can actually settle in and just kind of find a rhythm fully rest right in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah God raises up a prophet named Jeremiah to speak to the nation of Judah and he raises him up at the same time that he's raising up the Babylonian army, to basically be a wake-up call to the land of Judah. All right? He's going to bring in the Babylonian army, and they're going to decimate the land of Judah, specifically the city of Jerusalem. They're going to tear down all the walls. They're going to leave the temple in ruins, and they're going to carry off a large number of people into slavery, exile them away into a faraway land. So, significant wake-up call, right? So as God's raising up this Babylonian army, he also raises up Jeremiah to speak as a prophet right before this exile happens and during the first part of the exile. All right, so that's the context that Jeremiah is writing in. And one of the things that Jeremiah has to deal with is that these incredibly spiritual people Right? who have been separated from God because of their sin and they, they, they don't obey God and they definitely need the wake-up call, but they're still ingrained with this spiritual culture that spiritualizes every single thing. And so one of the problems that Jeremiah has to deal with is that this incredibly spiritual people have all these quote-unquote prophets that claim to speak for God, who very much are not speaking for God. But they've learned how to play the game, and they've learned how to tell people what they want to hear. And as the Jews are in exile, they're saying, no, 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 it's all a big mistake. God wouldn't do that to you. 
No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't worry because God's going to get you out of here immediately. Don't just, just bunker down. Just, just weather the storm. It's, it's all going to be over real soon. And that's the context that Jeremiah writes a letter to them. And that letter is found in Jeremiah 29. As the false prophets who claim to speak for God are saying, no, 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 God's going to get you out of here in a hurry. He's going to get you back home to the land flowing with milk and honey. Jeremiah writes them this letter. Verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king of Babylon at the time, whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother and the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, uh, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Eliasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. How you like that, Dave? <laughs> Verse 4. This is what the letter said. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Some of your translations may say the Lord of armies. It's the exact same thing. Hosts and armies are equal. All right? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, so he starts out the letter by calling God the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. If you've got a bent towards thinking that this is all some big mistake and that this massive army that is decimated your land and brought you into captivity into a faraway place, if you've got this natural knee-jerk inclination, this bent towards saying, oh, this is all some big mistake and God's going to fix it soon. God must, have, God must have turned his back for a second and allowed something terrible to happen, but don't worry, he's going to get us out of here quick. Calling God the Lord of, who is sovereignly over all armies. What does that tell you? was no accident. The God who is sovereign over all the hosts, all the armies. It's actually not an accident at all. It's very much on purpose. The, the Jews who have been yanked from their homes brought into a faraway foreign land thinking this is all some big mix up God tells them implied in the text actually no I'm still in control here and then he tells them so explicitly look at the next part he says whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon who sent them? God sent them. So God confirms for them that the exile is no accident at all, but rather his plan for them. But he doesn't just confirm their exile. Or he doesn't just confirm that it was their, that it was his idea. He takes another step in verse 5. Let's look at that. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. 
Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So Jeremiah, God tells his people through Jeremiah to build houses, plant gardens, and make families, have lots of babies. Build houses, plant gardens, have lots of babies. Does that sound like weathering out the storm? Very much no. Not only has God confirmed that he's, he's the one that put them in exile, he's saying, listen, you're going to be there a while. You might as well make the most of it. You don't build a house unless you plan on staying there for a while, right? Or maybe you just have a weird hobby. <laughs> You don't plant gardens unless you have an inclination towards cultivating something. If you're just hanging out for a while, you don't plant something that you're not going to receive the fruit of. He tells them to build houses and plant gardens. Then he tells them to take wives and have babies. How many generations do you see there? Look at verse 6 again. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Uh, give your sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Uh, sorry, I'm going to start over. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, comma, that they may bear sons and daughters. How many generations? Three. It's not just that, hey, you're going to be there for the entirety of your life. You're going to be there for the entirety of your kids' lives. You're not just going to see your kids born there. You're going to see your grandbabies born there. Settle in. It's going to be a while. Later on in the letter, he tells them it's going to be 70 years before he rescues them out of there. Through Jeremiah, God tells his covenant people that it's his will for them to spend the entirety of their lives in that distant land. And that they should spend their days doing the things that normal people do. Make your home. Feed your family. Grow your family. And I think a lot of us, myself included sometimes, would feel that that's some kind of injustice. I mean, isn't God supposed to rescue his people out of there? Right? I mean, aren't the, aren't the false prophets that, that Jeremiah has to deal with right here, aren't they telling the, the Jews exactly what we would hope to hear? This is all some big mix-up. God's going to get us out of here as soon as possible. Maybe we have a few of our own false prophets. Maybe at times we've been sold a bill of goods that says, God would never do this to you. God wants you to be happy and healthy and successful and prosperous. But the real meat of what we're talking about this morning is found in verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. 
and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. He tells them to seek the welfare of the city that he's put them in. We can say that a different way, right? Be good citizens. <laughs> right? All right. High school civics class. What does it mean to be a good citizen? I think most of us would probably say something to the tune of, stay out of trouble, vote if you have the opportunity, obey the leaders. That's kind of where we're at, right? That's, we, we maybe add some stuff to that, but by and large, I think, I think probably most of us would say that. But the last time I checked, is passivity what God has called us to? Stay out of trouble? Try not to break the laws? <laughs> That's passivity, right? So what does it mean to actively be a good citizen? It means we look for ways to be a positive influence in our city, right? It means that we actively look for ways to serve her. Sometimes those opportunities will fall right in our lap. Several weeks ago, we got an email from the Nashua Office of Emergency Management, I think I said that correctly, asking if they could host a meeting in our building. The, meet, the email was sent to us by accident because they thought we were a different church, but we played it cool. Um, no, actually, we jumped at the opportunity to host their meeting. Why? Because we want to look for ways to serve the city. We want... We want more opportunities than they can count of going, wow, that church down the road, they were really good to us. Right? We want to create a, I don't know how to explain it, but I guess a purse of, of positive experiences where they say, man, if National Baptist Church wasn't here, we'd be in trouble. Not in a way it puts them in our debt, but in a way that they think we're valuable to this place. Right? Sometimes those opportunities fall in our lap, and we jumped at that chance. Other times, they don't fall in our lap, and we've got to go looking for them, right? We've got to seek them out. That means that we need to always keep our eyes open, and we seek out new relationships, and sometimes leverage the relationships that we have for the purpose of finding ways to serve. That happens on a corporate level as we combine all of our efforts, and that happens on an individual level as we each use the circles of influence that God has seen fit to give us, right? We could say, seek the welfare of Nashua. We could plug that in, right? Whether they're planned or simply by accident, we are pro-Nashua. Or in some of your cases, Hollis or Hudson or New Boston or Merrimack or blah, 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 blah. Your city's not blah, blah, blah. <laughs> we are, we're pro-Nashua. And there's a few reasons why. I wanna, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a mini three-point sermon. You ready? It, our, my whole sermon is not three points because we're walking exegetically through a text, but if, if you're the old school type and you like three points, here's three points for why we ought to serve the city. You ready? Number one, so if you're a note taker, here's your shot. Number one, because it gains us opportunities for the gospel. Simply put, we said a few weeks ago that we have one job to do here and everything else is a tool in our hands to accomplish that one job, right? So is our relationship with the city of Nashua. And so we look for ways to serve so that we may open doors for gospel opportunity. 
Wasn't that kind of underhanded? Yes, but we're okay with that. It's not underhanded at all. It's business is what it is. In the same way that a good business will look for ways to bring some people in the door so that they can actually sell a product that's good. They may give you a free sample here or cut a premium there. We look for ways to serve so that we open the door for opportunities to share the gospel, right? It's just business. Not in an underhanded way, but in a, we are about one thing here and everything else is a tool to get us to that one thing. We're going to love our city well because it opens up opportunities for the gospel. Number two, because salt and light by nature make things better. That text that we read at the beginning of the service, what did Jesus say? You are the salt of the world, right? So much so that Jesus says that if salt has lost its taste, what is it good for anymore? He says the only thing left for it is to be thrown out on the road and trampled under people's feet. The whole point of salt is to be salty. Salt makes things taste better, right? Some of y'all have been told by doctors that you need to have less of it, right? How's that going for you? No one is happy with that experience. You do it because you're forced to, because you want to live a few extra years or whatever, but no one has a salt-free diet just because, you know what, I don't like this stuff. You're desperate for something that you count as better. Salt makes things taste better. Oh, it's good stuff. But if salt had all the bad qualities and none of the good qualities, would you put it on your stuff, on your food? It would be purposeless, right? Completely pointless. Jesus says that you're the light of the world, and what good is a lamp if you put a basket over it? The purpose of a lamp is to brighten up the room, right? Salt and light make things better wherever they go, and they do so by nature of what they are. And if they're not doing those things, then why do we have salt and light? Right? They're worthless and not good for anything. To fail at being salty or light in a dark culture is to be inconsistent with who we are. So we serve the city because salt and light make things better. But there's a third reason, and Jeremiah lists it right here. Look again at verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, comma, for in its welfare you will find what? Your welfare. If you want your life to be better, I don't know, maybe make all the things around you better. It's common sense, right? Seek the welfare of the city because in its welfare you will find your welfare. Jeremiah tells the Jewish exiles in Babylon that when Babylon is successful, they will be too. And I promise you, not only by the looks on your face, but because I'm a student of culture, that rubs some people the wrong way. Babylon's the bad guys. They're the evil people who brought us into slavery. What do you mean seek their welfare? Every single culture in human existence across all of history has things about it that are bridges to the gospel and things that are walls to the gospel that you got to tear down. One of the things in Western culture all across the board is that, that I've seen creeping up over the years is the idea that you, you can't just disagree with your enemies, you have to put them to shame. 
Anybody else experience that? If you haven't, you haven't spent any time on social media lately or watching a 24-hour news network. It's not enough to beat your enemies. You've got to rub their noses in it. Anybody else walking in that world? And so to do anything less than be, to do anything less than talking down to the bad guys, the people you disagree with, is seen as some sort of weird capitulation that you're not fully invested in the cause. Jeremiah says, when you seek the welfare of the city God has put you in, yeah, I know that they're the evil baddies. They're the enslavers. But when you seek their welfare, you will find your welfare. To be chained in the galley rows of a boat and wish for it to sink is not a great idea. So he says, seek the welfare of the city God has placed you into. I think this is part of the reason we have the political climate we have today. Jeremiah tells the Jews living in exile, listen, y'all are going to be there for a while. Settle in. Seek the welfare of your city. And if you seek their welfare, you will find your welfare. They are tied together. When I say citizenship, I want you to be thinking foreign cultivators. The foreign part you understand. You do. What's a cultivator? A cultivator is somebody who, with a clear head and a steady hand, takes what has been given to them and grows it, nurtures it into something better. I mean, I know we're living in New Hampshire, and I'm the country boy coming in. Think farmer. Think farmer. Some of you have a little bit of a green thumb. You've got gardens at your house. A cultivator takes what has been handed to them and uses all the skills that they have to turn it into something much better, right? You can cultivate things that, are, that aren't plants, right? Those of you who are parents are attempting to cultivate your children, right? To, to take what is there, the, the raw material, and redirect and shape and mold and, and get it to where you want it to be. When I say citizenship. I want you to be thinking foreign, or we could say this word, exiled cultivators. Look at verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil. Those of you who have grown up in church have probably have that verse memorized. Guess what the context is? All right, slavery in a foreign land. All right, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Through Jeremiah, 
God tells the exiles in Babylon that he may intend for them to stay there a while, but that is not the end of their story. It is his will for them to be enslaved in a foreign land, separated from all that they would call home, separated from all the comforts that they would feel in their home area. It says, it is my purpose and plan, it is my will for you to park it right there for the entirety of your life. But one day I will call you home. I will gather you from all the places that I have sent you. And I will bring you to the place where you will find final rest. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a citizen of a kingdom to come. That's what we teach, right? And so the plans that you make in this life and the investments that you make in your resources are all being poured into a kingdom that you have not yet laid your eyes on. And the place where you will finally and fully, eternally find your rest is in a land that you have not yet stepped foot. You're going to spend the entirety of your life in a foreign land. And like me, maybe you've been sold a bill of goods by those who claim to be speaking for God that says, don't worry, just weather the storm. God's going to get you out of here soon. Get what's yours. Make the best of it. But hey, God's going to rescue out of that place. No, no, no. He says, build homes. Plant gardens. Grow your families. Seek the welfare of the city God has placed you in. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In another part of the Bible, in the book of Daniel, we see this play out. The story of Daniel, if you don't know, happens at the same exact time as this letter is being written. Daniel is a Babylonian exile. He was identified as one of the best and brightest. He was a young man when he was carried off into captivity. You, if you know, know the story, he, he, he was, they tried to assimilate him into Babylonian culture. They, fed him all the, they tried to feed him all the nicest foods and give him the best Babylonian education so that he would choose to be a Babylonian instead of an Israelite. And uh, that didn't work well because he trusted God more than he trusted all the nice stuff that they were offering him. And so you have that whole story about him eating vegetables instead of eating from the king's table and all that kind of stuff. But, but as a general synopsis of Daniel's life, here's what happens. Daniel walked in obedience and made the best of his circumstances right in front of him. And sometimes he was this clear prophetic voice that spoke to the culture around him. But most of the time, he just simply walked in obedience to what God put in front of his face. A lot of times quietly so. But what did God do with it? For those of you who know the story. Over and over and over and over again, whether you're talking about the story of the lion's den or the story of him interpreting the dream, all this kind of stuff. Over and over and over again in Daniel's life, what do you see? You see Daniel walking in his faithful obedience, whether that's publicly or privately, and people around Daniel going, wow, there's something different about Daniel's God. 
That's the story of Daniel in a nutshell. Daniel walks in obedience, and everybody around Daniel goes, maybe Daniel's God ought to be praised. At the beginning of the service, we, we read about Jesus saying, you're salt and light. But what did he say the purpose of being salt and light was? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Like Daniel, God has called us to be foreign cultivators, seeking the welfare of the city. Could Daniel have just train wrecked everything? God raised him up to some positions of power, right? He was an advisor to the king. If anybody had opportunity to slip some bad knowledge to the king so that Babylon fell apart, Daniel was the guy, right? But what did he do? He sought the welfare of the city. He sought the welfare of the country. Whether he read the words of Jeremiah or not, we don't know, but he understood that Babylon's welfare was directly tied to his welfare. And so he looked for ways to serve in whatever circles of influence God gave him. If you're here this morning, and you're thinking for the very first time that you may want to follow Jesus, Maybe it's because you've come across somebody whose God was different than what you expected. Hey, you know what? There's something special about Daniel's God. And you've leaned in close and started to pay more attention. If that's you this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to him for the very first time. That response is repenting of your sin and coming to him as Lord. In a second, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a little bit and it'll be your opportunity to do business with a holy God that speaks to you on a heart level. If you want to talk to somebody, we're going to have some people down here to talk. We're available to talk during that song. We're available to talk out in the foyer during our, our kind of fellowship time. You can also just give us a phone call. God does business with you outside of this place too. If you're here this morning for the very first time, you want to follow Jesus we want to give you an opportunity to respond but listen that response time is not only for those who, are, who want to become Christians it's for all of us I think a lot of people have grown up in a church environment where we see the, the invitation at the end of a service is this thing that's for a couple of people and everyone else is just standing there singing for a while we want to give you the opportunity to respond all of us. We ask deep, penetrating questions of our heart and our lives and our actions. We take stock of those things and ask, are we walking in obedience to the God who's commanded us to seek the welfare of the city? Maybe you don't have the type of relationships that operate on the city level. Maybe it's just your neighborhood. Maybe it's the cul-de-sac. Maybe it's the apartment complex. I don't know. Are you seeking the welfare of the places God has seen fit to put you? Whatever community that is. Maybe it's the local high school. I don't know. Or do you sometimes see them as the enemy? 
never saying out loud, but kind of hoping ultimately for their demise. See them as the bad guy that God needs to put in their place. Do you seek the welfare of the city? And as we begin asking questions of how to seek that welfare, whether it's of Nashua together or our individual little places, maybe God will lay on you an idea or a way to jump into the fray. Hitting a little heavy today. When I say citizenship, I'm not talking about rising up and taking back America. I'm not talking about getting the people you want in office, whatever form that may come in. I'm talking about being a cultivator where God has placed you. As we live in a foreign land awaiting our final and full home. Will you seek the welfare of the city? Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. Like your people in Babylon. I think we prefer to hear different news. I think we prefer to hear that this has all been some mistake and that you're going to fix all these things soon. You have placed us here on purpose. You have called us to, to love and serve and seek the welfare of, of those you've seen fit to put around us. No matter what those circles of influence may look like, all of us should walk in obedience to whatever it is you've called us to do and to be. God, we long for the day when you will finally call us home, but there is work to be done until that. Until then. So as we seek faithfully to do our one job, to make disciples of all nations, we will at times serve the city because it's good business. We will at times serve the city because that's who we are by nature. And we're going to serve the city because it's common sense. For in its welfare, we will find our welfare. And so, God, we want to trust your promises. We want to trust that you know what you're doing. And in all these things, would you show us yourself so that when we call out to you, we will find you. God, you are good. In your name we pray. Amen.